Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. I'll begin reading. Begin reading from chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your word is truth, that your word is authoritative in our lives. And despite how the world rejects you and rejects your word, Father, we pray that we would hold fast to it, that we would not allow others to mock it, that we would not also seek to doubt it and mock it. Father, we know that your standards are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we thank you for the promises of the gospel that we have in our Lord Jesus, a perfect Savior and a gentle and a loving Master. We thank you, Father, that the world cannot offer anything such as this. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, for he indeed is the one who has set us free from the bondage to sin and death. We thank you for your provision for us. We pray, Father, that all of your people would embrace the promises of the gospel. We thank you, Father, that your promises are always true, and we can depend upon them. We pray that our Lord Jesus would be exalted, and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> Imagine <coughs> for a moment that you were in first century Rome, or Corinth, or Ephesus. 
or in 5th century Africa, or in 8th century Europe, or in 10th century Asia, or in 18th century in the American South. If you, as a Christian, had met a slave in these times and places, because obviously there was slavery in all those times and places, specifically a Christian slave, if you met a slave, a Christian slave, what would your counsel or encouragement be to him or to her in their situation? Could you come up with any wiser advice than our passage, Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 8? Here, we think about how God's word is timeless. We think about how important God's word is to us. And are these words of God, are they lasting throughout time? Are they true and are they valid throughout time? Do they apply to situations for people who are slaves and are under earthly masters? Do they apply to you and to me as well? Here, when we think about this book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is beginning to wrap up. And in chapter 5, verses 21, before he wraps up, he addresses this whole matter of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And within it, he addresses the various groups. Notice that uh, he always begins uh, with, uh, with the duty to submit. So he begins with wives. But then he, he says more to husbands than he does to wives. And he addresses children and then fathers. And now we get into, uh, well, it's still potential that it's, it's in the home because there's, there were slaves in the household, but they're also part of society. And he addresses the very fabric of society in this passage. So the truth that we see here, Christ commands faithful bond servants to sincere obedience, promising them temporal and eternal rewards, even in the midst of worldly despair. Christ commands faithful bond servants to sincere obedience, promising them temporal and eternal rewards, even in the midst of worldly despair. We'll look at this in three points. The first is the right heart for bond servants. <clears throat> the second, the true master of bond servants. And third, the great promise to bond servants. So the first point, the right heart for bond servants. We have this in verses uh, 5 and the first half of 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Here, you think about how the Apostle Paul is addressing these various relationships from Ephesians 5.21 submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Apostle Paul then addresses the whole gamut of relationships, beginning with wives and husbands, and then the children, and then fathers. And then lastly, he addresses the matter of slaves and masters. We understand that when God redeems sinners, he also seeks to redeem the relationships that those sinners have. <clears throat> In so doing, God even uses these relationships as a means to redeem other sinners. We think about the challenge here. Can God redeem even the relationships between master and slave? Can God redeem even the relationships between master and slave? Maybe the question I'm asking is, do you believe in God? If God cannot, then there's a question about whether or not we're believing in God and his power to save. Here we think about the historic context of these, uh, this letter and to whom the Apostle Paul was writing. 
<clears throat> you think about the Roman world at the time, first century Rome, that slavery was a part of life. It was a part of life in that time uh, of the Roman world. At any one time in Rome and its provinces, its colonies, a third to one half of the population of Rome were slaves and not free. Uh, slaves were often, most often, acquired through military conquests. You think about the massive Roman army. They would go, they colonize a group, they defeat them. Uh, if those opposed, you, know, you would imagine that they, they opposed, they, hey, we're not going to accept your terms, they'd fight. Well, well then there would be consequences. There, there, would be, uh, there would be prisoners taken, and these are how commonly the, the Roman army, the Ro Rome, would uh, have slaves. But there was also the means through piracy. So when uh, Rome having many ships that they would go, they would have piracy and then there would be kidnapping uh, on, on these ships. We think about these slaves and, and it's easy to assume that they were always unskilled labor, but they weren't. In fact, uh, many of these slaves were highly, highly educated people, that they were doctors, they were uh, high-level administrators and accountants, that uh, many of these people happen to have that slave title of not being free. Here, we think about the, the Bible's view on slavery. While some might claim that it's so painfully obvious that slavery is only and absolutely and always sin, the biblical account does not support such a claim. Here, we think about how Scripture simply does not commend slavery as a good thing. Hey, you ought to do it. You ought to go and enslave other people that, that this is a good and a holy and a righteous thing. It's not commending slavery. But it also does not absolutely condemn it in such a way that in any situation of slavery encountered in the scriptures, the immediate uh, and, and the absolutely required situation would be uh, emancipation or, or manumission. Whenever we see... because. Here, we have to come to terms that from Genesis to Revelation, throughout the Bible, slavery is mentioned. It's mentioned as a fact of life. We're going to get to that passage in Genesis 24. We can argue about how slavery back then was different than uh, the modern slave, more modern slavery in our, in, our, in our country in the last few hundred years. I, I think that argument, uh, it, it would be on, on your part to prove, because we, we think about how the, the various times of slavery, right, hey, the, you look at the various cultures. Uh, is there any culture, is there any people group who can claim that they were always on the right side of history? The answer is no. We're all descendants of one race. That's Adam. We're all descendants of Adam. We all fell in Adam. No culture can say, hey, you know what? Original sin did not happen to us. And everything that we did in interacting with other cultures was right. No one can claim that. We're all under the bondage to sin. Here we you see that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God gives laws and commandments to regulate slavery. And you think about how there were Old Testament laws specifically given to regulate slavery. And we think about how the Jews in the Old Testament, that God had commanded them that, that they would worship and serve him only. And obviously they didn't do that. They bowed down and worship other gods. So when, it, when they had laws regarding the, the care and the proper rights for slaves in Israel, would you also assume, since they bowed down and worshiped false gods, they probably disobeyed those laws as well. Here, 
we think about the practical argument. Someone would say, well, look at all the abuses and the wickedness that has taken place in slavery. Well, I say, you're right. That is, that is true. But then when we look at, well, if you're going to use the practical argument, aren't there also abuses that happen in marriage? Uh, there are abuses that happen in the family and parenting? In any, in any type of human authority, there are all abuses. Now, now granted, we look at uh, marriage and, and by extension, uh, parenting. Those are institutions that, that were there before the fall. So, so marriage was instituted before the fall. And, and by extension, uh, parenting. Here you have uh, slavery. That wasn't instituted by God before the fall. That is, that is one of the consequences of the fall. Just, just as God also gave laws regarding warfare. He didn't say warfare is, is good and that we ought to engage in it often and, and, and as harshly as we can. But he gave specific laws to regulate it. So also he gave specific laws to reg regulate slavery. Here, you think about the various things that come up even in our own lives. <clears throat> Someone might say, hey, listen, I don't need the Bible to tell me that slavery is wicked for me to know that it's wicked. Oh, is, that, is that a good argument to have? Well, maybe the response will be, well, what other categories of wickedness and righteousness are there that the Bible should not define? In other words, when the world comes to you with such an argument, understand that Satan and the world are trying to get you to broaden that category. Hey, you ought to understand there are all kinds of things that we can define as right and wrong outside of God's help and his guidance. Well, you can think about some of these. Love is love. right? You, you, the warning of justice and love and righteousness. The world will in, invariably redefine those. You also must be very cautious when the world attempts to yoke your reactions, yoke your emotions, yoke your anger at the exclusion of your mind. If you attempt, they attempt to use your emotions and your anger and to move you in certain directions. We ought to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, all our strength. We cannot be separated. And right and wrong, all that we have been given for life and godliness has been directed to us by his word. Here we think about our own cultural context. So much has come up even within the last few decades or the last few years against slavery, particularly here in the history of the United States. And it wasn't, it wasn't just a recent thing, but for, it seems like, generations. Non-Christians have pointed the finger at Christianity, and they say, hey, look at all that the Bible says regarding slavery. And because of that, I refuse to believe in such a God. That's not the first time that's happened. Here, you realize that the same groups that have been most vocal in condemning the history of slavery in the United States are also the vocal ones condemning marriage and parenting and the entire nuclear family. The entire message of burn it down is a rejection of God. It's, it's anti-God to the core. When we think about the, the toppling and the destruction of statues and monuments in, of famous Americans, the standard is, did they or did they not own slaves? If they did, we will burn it down. Have you ever asked the question, well, what, about, what about our father Abraham? Is there, is there any doubt in our minds, especially according to the New Testament references to father Abraham, that he was 
someone who was damned to hell. There's no question about that, that he was one who was, who was a believer. And God gave him specific instructions. Here, we think about Abraham, that he believed God, and it was recorded to him as righteousness. Here, God's design. We think about the covenant, God's design, and his plan for Abraham and his household and his descendants. You look at Genesis 17. The covenant that God made with Abraham the sign of which was circumcision. Here he said, Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner. This is saying that it's not only Abraham and his household, his slaves, but all of Abraham's descendants and those that were bought and brought into their households. We think about what God called Abraham to do. Genesis 18, 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. What God promised Abraham is that he would be God to him and to his descendants after him. And it's not only his children, but his household, meaning the slaves that he purchased. Here, we read earlier in Genesis chapter 24, I look forward to meeting this man in heaven. He has no name. He's not given a name. All we're told is that he was the chief servant of Abraham. But consider what he does. Number one, to which Abraham entrusted this man. There was so much trust in this man. Hey, you know what? I'm going to have you go back to my relatives. Find a son or find a wife for my son. Then you listen to this man's prayer. Very interesting. He says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham. So we must conclude that for this servant, God, his master's God was his God also. Otherwise, he would not be praying to him. But interesting enough, this man would have been one of those who benefited from Abraham's instruction regarding justice and righteousness. And it's very interesting also in his prayer. He prays a prayer of blessing upon his master. Show steadfast love to my master Abraham. When we think about this for a moment, will we have known Abraham to be a cruel and an unreasonable man? I don't think so. Because I, I think that the, the proof of the pudding would have been that this, this slave would not have loved his master. He wouldn't have prayed blessings upon his master. It's not a prayer to impoverish and shame his master, but that there would be steadfast love to him. Here, we think about how uh, the various movements, that they're not new, that these various movements of revolution, inherently anti-Christian, and uh, the, the desire to elevate sinful man, it's called looking for messiahs in all the wrong places. The next group will be uh, 
that's vying for power, they are the ones who will truly care for us. But as Christians here, we believe in total depravity. That there's not one group of people that's going to be more sinful uh, than another. And, and any group that comes to power, there will be the corruption that comes with greater and greater power. Here, John Calvin described men's hearts as idol-making factories. If that's the case, wouldn't it be true that we would look for these earthly messiahs, those who would grant us hope, deliverance, and provision? Jesus dealt with this very issue, John 6.26. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me because not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, hey, you saw me for all the wrong reasons. You saw me because I provided you a free lunch, and you're looking for someone who will provide you food and without, without working for it. So, so here, if, if they can seek the right God for the wrong reasons, how much more so when they're seeking other messiahs, they'll seek it for the wrong reasons. Here, we think about how important these instructions are to us today. The command given to these bondservants. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Here, God commands obedience to our earthly masters. Again, in the situation regarding wives and children, this obedience is as you would Christ, meaning that we would submit to uh, those in authority over us, and their authority is never absolute. We must never sin against the Lord. If they command us to sin, we cannot obey that. And you think about, in most instances, what is it that masters require? The vast majority of cases, masters require diligence and uh, productivity, and they require arduous labor. Here, we think about how uh, there can be cruel masters. We can understand that. that masters will be cruel, unreasonable. Right? You look at Pharaoh, make brooks without straw, uh, not having even a day off. And the immediate response to that would be that we would despise our masters, that we would want to see them suffer shame and ridicule, that they would not be promoted. But what ends up happening? What ends up happening is, you see, that then, then their cruelty will be increased, right? So, so then, generally speaking, those who are in authority over us, they want us to be diligent and productive. They want us to be trustworthy. Uh, they want it such that they don't have to uh, breathe down our necks. You think about any situation that you've been in. Uh, is, it, is it good use of your time if you have an employee that you have to supervise by looking right over him all the time? The answer is no. You'd want them to be productive whether or not you're looking over them or not. Here. Certainly these commands uh, have immediate application to all of the problems uh, in societies of management and labor, owner and worker, and employee, employee and employer. Here, the type of service that God requires of bond servants. <clears throat> We're told with a sincere heart, meaning a genuine heart towards our earthly masters. Here, just as Abraham's servant prayed for steadfast love, God's steadfast love to him, so also we would think, about what is good for our masters. You realize that even in something such as simple as the U.S. military, anyone who served will know that from the day they sign on, that their life is not their own. 
and they're told what to do. And the changing of your mind and decided, hey, I changed my mind. Well, there are consequences, severe negative consequences to that. Here we think about how sincerity is. We think about what it is our masters want of us and that we should desire to provide it. If it's productivity, we should give it. Here we think also about the warnings regarding disobedience. It's not with eye service. Not only when the boss is present and watching, but that you and I, who are worshiping the true master, Jesus Christ, we should be trustworthy. We should be willing to work diligently all the time. That there have been times in my workplace where we knew the bosses had to get to a meeting, and there were various employees who said, we're going to the local casino. Frank, are you coming with us? And I was in a situation where I said, I will stay. And then they told me, Frank, the rule is you cannot stay in the laboratory alone, and you're the only one. Well, then what, what does one do in this situation, right? Hey, I can't stay in the lab alone because some acid hits me in the face. It's not that I went with them, right? But here, you, you think about how God expects us to be trustworthy. They expect to see work done even when they're not there. I service then. We shouldn't be good at looking busy when they're watching us. Also, not as people pleasers. Rather, we should be God pleasers because we're reminded because our God is watching over us all the time. So this is the first point, the right heart for bond servants with sincerity. Second, the true master of bond servants. The second half of verse 6 and verse 7. But as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. Here, this passage is a reminder to us that we are servants of Christ. When you think about service, especially in the Greek or the Roman culture, service was reprehensible. It's only a servant who served, that the free person expected not to have to serve. But when you look at the scriptures, 2 Corinthians 4, here, the Apostle Paul refers to himself as, I am your bondservant for Christ. We think about even these very names, these very terms, right? The real estate market, they got rid of this term master bedroom, even though it had nothing to do with a, a master of slavery. It, it only came up in, in the Sears Roebuck catalog start, starting in 1926. So, so you get these terms, and, and then you see that Christianity uses these terms, and, and we ought not to be ashamed of that. Here, we think about how God commands us to be submissive to him as our master. It's a reminder to us that we think of the very term Lord. This term Lord means master. And that God is able to command of us submission. Here, we think about the masters, the types of masters we face. They can be arrogant. They can be dishonest. They can show favoritism. They can be cruel and unreasonable. And you think about how in our carnal states and our carnal thinking, the last thing any of us will want to do in that situation is to bring profit or good to such a master or boss. Here, the warning is, 
the sad and immediate result would be punishment for you and for me. But the bigger picture is what God is warning about. People know that you're a Christian. You're in that workplace. And when you disobey this commandment, that we would be trustworthy, that we would obey our masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart when we disobey that, what they're seeing is that we're disobeying our Lord Jesus. The end result is our master Jesus is the one who is shamed. Here, we ought to do the will of God from the heart. Meaning, not mere outward action. God is not concerned about behavior. He's concerned about our hearts. A heart of submission. A heart of desire that we would submit not only to our Lord Jesus, but those who he has providentially placed over us. That we ought to render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. You see here, God is taking the immediate superior out of the picture. What he's putting in is he's putting in our Lord Jesus. Here, as I talk to some of you, I hear about the breakdown of corporate America. There's no loyalties. There's no provisions for success. Uh, The shareholders are favored over employees and profits over people. I hear about this in various families and occupations. Such leaders, those who are in authority, who, who think in such a way, they don't, they don't esteem the diligent, the honest, or the capable, but they, they favor and they promote the man-pleasers and the eye-servants. Do you remember the comic series Dilbert? I don't know if it's still around, but uh, it, was, it was a 90s thing, but you think about Dilbert and, and the comics, and I can imagine that these would have been, these, these comics that were funny, they were probably based on real stories. Maybe they wrote, one, they wrote one book of comics and then all kinds of people would have wrote, written in and, of real stories that happened to them and they would have had you know, however many uh, series of books that they could have written on. And they're funny because there's, there's truth to them. They probably really happened. And it's, uh, it's a fitting reminder even as you and I are in corporate America that our work is not to them. Our work is to God, to our Lord Jesus. He's the one that we serve. And the reminder is that it's service with goodwill. Here we think back to the teachings of our Lord Jesus. What is the worst kind of slavery? The worst kind of slavery is slavery to your own sin. Slavery to my own sin. And we ask, what's the solution then? in our situation if we are in some form of earthly bondage. The solution is not grudging service. The solution is a willing heart service with goodwill. You see the difference? The worst kind of bondage is bondage to our own sin. For someone who is is under an earthly master, under an earthly boss, the reminder is we can choose to submit to them from the heart. That does not put us in bondage. That puts us there by choice. So that's the second point. The true master of bondservants. We have the third point. The great promise to bondservants in verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. This he will receive back from the Lord. God assures you that you will receive your due. 
You must believe that God is sovereign even over the hearts and the decisions of men. Proverbs 21.1, the king's hand, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And it's like a water course that he directs wherever he chooses. This is why we're, we're commanded to pray for our rulers. And we're commanded to pray for their conversion, to pray for even their decisions. And I think back to my time in corporate America. I remember that I had a boss. And uh, I learned from talking to him in my review that uh, the immediate superior assigns the raises and or the promotions uh, within his group. Okay, this guy gets 5%, this guy gets 6%, that guy gets 10%. And then his recommendations go up the chain. So the next guy, the directors, hey, that looks good to me, let's sign it off. Anyone up the chain can say, no, 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 wait a minute, I don't like that. This guy only gets 2%, and that guy will get 7%. And up the chain it goes till it gets to the CEO. And for the most part, you can imagine, no one really changes anything, right? But in my review, it became very clear that the large quantity I received, he did not decide on. He got overruled by someone above him. Have you ever wondered, who is above that CEO? Is it not God? was above that CEO. Is, is God above every CEO? In the sense that when, when God says that he is the one that you will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free, what he's saying is that whatever chain of command these people have, he's in control of all of it. He changes the hearts of men. Here, we also have this description the heart of the issue, the heart of the issue is this. Do you believe that God's power to bless you is far greater than man and the world's power to curse you? That is the heart of the issue. I was going to use this start of the illustration, but my wife said it was too cruel. So I only apply it to myself. Imagine a conquering nation comes in comes to the United States, doesn't, doesn't matter who it is, and they decided, we're going to execute all, we're going to execute all the men, women and children we'll keep as slaves. I hope you understand that this is not unfamiliar, it's out of the Old Testament. And imagine they said to me, okay, you, we will give you courtesy five minutes to speak to your family before we execute you, and we'll take your family as slaves. What would I say to them? First off, I would thank the person, thank you for that five minutes, I appreciate that. He didn't have to give me any minutes. But would my advice to my family be the same? Ephesians 6, 5 to 8. Would I pray blessings upon them? Hey, submit to them. Honor Jesus Christ. Submit to them from the heart. You will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free, that God is the one who will protect you and bless you. Is this the best that we can do? Or will we tell them, curse them, refuse to submit to them? Uh, Defy them. Here, you think about the promises of God's word. Proverbs 17, 2. A servant who acts wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully, and he will share in the inheritance among brothers. In general, the difference between a slave and a son is that sons receive inheritances. Slaves do not. Colossians 3.24, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Here, we have in God's word, God promising that there is an inheritance that comes even to Christians who are slaves. It doesn't come necessarily from the master. It may. He may change the heart of the master. But it, it definitely comes from our God. It's because we believe that God's power, power to bless is greater than man's power to curse. Here, try to imagine a situation. Whatever country, whatever nation, whatever people group, uh, try to imagine that a king uh, with his son, the prince, has a deadly illness. Let's say he needs a new heart. And he asks through the land, who, who will provide this heart? And he promises... He promises that there will be great blessing to those, to the one who can give up the heart so that his son might have life. And, and then you have a volunteer. He's, he's a slave within the land. And, and the master or the king promises immediate uh, manumission. You, you will be set free. And you will lose your life, of course, and give up your heart. But your, your descendants, your children, will have great wealth and blessing. They will become nobles in my land. And have you thought about what God does. It's nothing like this at all. Your God has the perfect son. He has the perfect son. And he has rebellious slaves. Those are us. We are the rebellious slaves. He offers up his perfect son, the only son. And he says, those of you slaves who have rejected my authority, who defy me, he says, this son of mine is your hope for righteousness. And that whatever riches and honor uh, that the man had would have given up his heart, he's saying that you as, as rebellious sinners, that there is great inheritance for you in heaven. And it's willingly shared with you by the Son of mine, Jesus Christ. You realize, where in the world would you find such an offer? The offer doesn't exist anywhere in the world. It's only by our God the gracious and compassionate master who says, regardless of your place in life, you are slaves to sin, who have rebelled against the Almighty God. My son is your only hope for forgiveness. And he shares with you his perfect righteousness and all his riches in heaven. Believe upon Jesus Christ. Trust in him. And know that he is the one who sets us free from bondage to sin and death. Even slaves can have hope and have an inheritance not only in this life, but in life to come. We know that our God is one who has great power to bless and is far greater than any man or any fallen angel's power to curse. May we give glory to our God. May we go to him in prayer. <clears throat> our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. We thank you, God, for your kindness and your